0: Welcome to Liftoff from your friends at Relay FM. It's brought to you this time by Squarespace. Off is a fortnightly show
1: where you don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand the latest news about space and related subjects. My name is Stephen Hackett, and in the co-pilot seat this week, as always, Jason
0: Snell. Hello. I'm, I'm also here. Is this one of those space shuttle things where um, you're the commander and I'm the pilot? Or you're the pilot and I'm the commander, but the pilot doesn't fly? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. I think we uh, we have both hands on the till. Hey, we should tell people, speaking of which, um, I was thinking about uh, what Eileen Collins, who was the first uh, woman astronaut to, to be a pilot on the space shuttle. And I know this uh, and was reminded of this because we watched a Netflix documentary called Mercury 13, which is about women aviators and... And their struggles in being treated as uh, sort of uh, considered for the space program, because mm-hmm. they were not. And we did a whole episode of Liftoff about that for Relay FM members. It's awesome. You can join
1: at relay.fm slash liftoff, and you can hit the little selector and see which plane you want to do. Uh, that show will come out uh, here in just a few days. Yeah, so, right uh, keep an eye out for that
0: I thought I thought we would uh, we would promote it now rather than when it's you know old yes. and musty and ten days old in a fortnight so so yeah the, and there are a bunch of other great stuff there too uh, you and I did a uh, a download clockwise crossover as well I did the cortex upgrade crossover where we play a a, a game and I'm looking forward to um, the pen addict which is not a show that i listen to regularly but the concept of the pen addict member episode is amazing because it's literally mike has the lego and brad has the instructions on how to assemble the lego and they're not together and that sounds brilliant (laughs) In a terrible way. So, anyway, lots of content, plus the content from the last couple of years, including our episodes about Contact and Apollo 13. So, there's a lot there, and you get it all when you sign up for a relay membership. So, you can do that and support Liftoff directly.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, go check it out. We'd appreciate it. And if you're a member, thank you very much. So, I have some construction updates for you. Oh, good. Oh, good. I like that. Are they building, like, a building near you or something? Is that what's happening? Yeah. No, no, no. Uh, So we've talked a lot about commercial crew. It's been in the news a lot recently with the astronaut classes being named and seeing astronauts like at SpaceX and with Boeing doing training and showing off the capsules. It's really like geared up in the last couple of weeks. Uh, Part of that is getting the actual pad ready for crew. And so SpaceX has installed their crew access arm at launch complex 39A, a, a historic piece of land there in Florida. When it's ready for the commercial crew program. So uh, we all, we can, uh, at least when I think about this, I think about it from the the early space days where it's like, you know, it's just, it's just like basically like a, a metal walkway. The, the guys are carrying their, their hoses down to like their briefcases with oxygen and walking on their spacesuits across the, the galley. This is a little bit nicer than that. If you look at pictures of this, like it kind of looks like a fancy hotel somehow, <laughs> like it's with typical SpaceX flare. Yeah. Uh, not not open air, you know, it's an enclosed walkway with apparently with air conditioning. Uh, but it is, uh, it's there on 39A, ready to go.
0: Yeah, the idea, I think, of SpaceX's design uh, philosophy is basically, can we make it look cool and different? And that SpaceX is bringing that extra coolness to it. And again, in the end, it's about how it works, but they definitely are, are giving that a try. And it's also just a nice milestone. Like we talked about last time, the fact that we're going to have these commercial crews who are going to be doing test flights. And I should say, as a little bit of follow-up, um, we, said, we expressed uh, unsureness about whether the commercial crew test flights would go to the International Space Station, because I think I kind of assumed that they wouldn't, but um, apparently that is the plan, is that the test flights will go when when commercial crew starts, the, there will be a test flight for each of SpaceX and Boeing, and they are intended to go to the ISS for a short time. Not like they're not going to apparently hang out there and do long duration or anything like that. They're going to go and they're going to dock and they're going to see how that all goes, and then they will come back to Earth with their with their test flight. So that's apparently part of it too. And they will walk across the SpaceX one will walk across this uh, this crew arm because you got to get from the uh, tower to the spacecraft.
1: Yeah, that's right. Uh, the arm is 85 feet or 25 meters long. Uh, it's installed on the fixed service structure, 70 feet or 21 meters above the uh, the arm for the shuttle, which was at 195 feet or 60 meters. So this is pretty high right up, up there. there. Of course, the shuttle sat sort of low and on the back of its stack, right? So the the commander and the pilot of the shuttle weren't at the at the very tip of the of the stack they were further back
0: so it's a little bit different if you think of the spacex rocket and this is going to be a a shift i think it's great that you mentioned that because i think there's going to be a mental shift for all of us who grew up with a space shuttle Mm -hmm. which where where we're thinking about like the people are down there in the front part of the space shuttle and then the rocket goes above it here it's that single rocket that we're that we've come to know um with the thing at the top that has had the satellite in it or whatever that is now going to be a crew capsule and they got to get them in there so it's way up there
1: yeah it's it's you know the (laughs) all the stuff has gone back to sort of the original concepts i think the shuttle as time goes on will be a, a bigger and bigger outlier in the way that we get to space uh we should mention that ula uh of course they are also um along with boeing they're part of the other side of commercial crew and that crew access arm was installed on Launch Complex 41 back in 2016. And that's where astronauts departing Earth and the Boeing CST-100 Starliner will walk to board their spacecraft. So we've got two two different vehicles, two different kind of programs within commercial crew, and that means you get a lot of duplication of hardware because it's all different. So you got now two, two crew access arms ready to go, and... uh yeah, it's you know, it's it's a milestone. It's one that's exciting because you can see it, right? So we're gonna talk more about the mobile launcher in a minute. So much of this stuff is in all the detail work and it's hard to see like big jumps in progress, but a big old eighty-five foot long service arm sticking out, that's that's something you can see and, and sort of uh and point to as like a, a, a visible milestone. So it is an exciting step uh, and an important one. Because, like you said, you gotta you gotta get on board, Jason,
0: or it's not a crude flight. That's exactly it <laughs> is. It is the final bridge to crude flight, which is literally you have to cross it in order to get in the <laughs> spacecraft.
1: That's right. Uh, so I uh, said as, as we we're gonna talk about the mobile uh, launch platform. So it is now time for the SLS segment space do, Launch System do, do, segment do, do, explaining do. geopolitics mechanical systems engineering achievements news and trivia that's a lot segment we spoke about the mobile platforms a while back there was just gonna be one of them that was going is actually repurposed from like the Ares one constellation program that never went anywhere but then they were gonna build a second one so anyways the first mobile launch platform is uh, making good progress it is actually going to be taken to the launch pad for testing. So this, yeah,
0: if you think about the
1: big crawler, the launch pad on top of the crawler, and then the SLS will sit uh, at the launcher. That thing is going to go out uh, to the launch pad for testing, and then we will go inside the Vehicle Assembly Building for the first time ever. I mean, this is a modified one from a previous project. This thing's been around a while. For the first time, we'll be in the Vehicle Assembly Building around September 7th or so, which is... Uh, it's always cool to see those 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 pictures of the big doors roll up and these things slowly crawl inside. The vehicle assembly building holds a special place in my heart because it's it's maybe my, my
0: favorite maybe my favorite building. Just like, can you have it's, a favorite building because that one is mine. <laughs> it's awesome. Have you been in it? I have. Did you get to go in it when you were in the NASA social? Yeah, yeah, me too. Um, amazing building and of course built for the Saturn V which so it was much taller than the space shuttle needed. Um but uh, getting used for, for this, which is great, using the VAB, you built this giant building, you might as well use it. And I just love the mobile pl- launching platform idea. The idea that it's like, you know, we, we need to mate the spacecraft or the, you know, the rocket and the spacecraft with the tower. And that takes time and we're not going to do it out at the pad. So we built this giant building and we're going to do it there. And then there'll be this enormous structure with a spaceship on it. And we'll just roll it out. It'll very very slowly, which I love, like at one mile an hour. Mm-hmm. They very slowly roll it, and if you've ever been to Kennedy Space Center um, and seen that part of it, uh, like Stephen and I have, like those um, the 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 roads that they drive down are hilarious because it's like two incredibly wide concrete pathways. And then like grass and stuff in the middle because it's so wide that they didn't need to make concrete in the middle part because the treads go on the two outsides. And I would think it's pretty easy to drive that thing because you got plenty of time to adjust your trajectory. You're going very, very slow Mm -hmm. with those giant treads just slowly going across the concrete to get to the launch pad. It's pretty amazing stuff.
1: And they've been practicing. So they've been moving a shuttle platform back and forth the last couple of weeks to kind of get everything kind of back up and running. I don't, you know, that crawler transporter hasn't had a job in a while. And I'm sure that those, those uh, employees have done other things. So kind of getting the whole system back up and running.
0: Yeah. Because it's been what, seven years or something since Mm -hmm. uh, the last shuttle launch. And there was the the real feeling when I was there for that, that it was the end of an era and people were figuring out what their jobs were going to be. And probably some of them left NASA or got different jobs or lost their jobs. And now they got to put the pieces back together for this. And, uh, But it's exciting because thinking of that last shuttle launch, there was definitely a feeling like, well, who knows what the future will hold. And now we're getting, you know, things are starting to happen. They've been happening in the background the whole time, obviously, but things are starting to move around on the ground. The fact that there is this mobile platform being moved around at uh, KSC is just, it's big because this is leading the way to, Um, this big program involving SLS and the return of NASA to flight, not just the commercial crew returning astronauts from the U.S. to flight. There's all the categories I know, but it's like there is something about a NASA rocket with astronauts in it that is launched from Kennedy Space Center, and that hasn't happened in a long time.
1: Absolutely. When I was there in 2015, we saw the Vehicle Assembly building, and they were retrofitting it for this. So the you know the new nice. mobile launcher is obviously different. The SLS is a different vehicle than there's ever been in there before. And like you said, the, the shuttle stack was shorter. And so a lot of the upper parts of the VAB basically hadn't been used.
0: Just spiders up there.
1: Yeah, they've been cleared for like crane <laughs> operating. But right. you know, a lot of the infrastructure and stuff was just behind. And so when I was there, they were just like elbow deep in the vehicle assembly building, upgrading it, retrofitting it, adding things to, to prep for this. And so they're going to pull... The mobile launcher in and it's going to go through some um some more testing and verification including the the various moving parts so you know parts of the tower have to swing away and umbilicals have to disconnect from the vehicle as it lifts off and all that stuff is going to get working uh when it's in when it's inside the building so uh, it's going to be in there a while but it's it's important work and when it comes back out it will be much closer to uh Try ready to host
0: uh host the sls before yeah, it takes it's off it's exciting like you know forward movement it's good we, we don't know when it's going to happen <laughs> we don't know all the details although we've got some uh there, there's some news about em1 the very first uh sls uh flight that's going to happen what's going on with that
1: yeah, so EM-1 is the first first flight of the SLS. It will be uncrewed. Do you remember when they talked about putting crew on EM-1? I'm really glad. Oh, good,
0: good times, good times. <laughs> hey, it's a totally untested uh, entire platform. Uh, yeah. Let's just put some people in it and see what happens. Let's not do that. Mm-mm. Uh, Mm-mm. So they've, they've backed off of that, thankfully. So EM-1 is going to be
1: uh, a lunar orbit mission. So it's going to take Orion, which has flown before. It wasn't on the SLS, but it's going to take Orion and put it into lunar orbit. And it's basically going to test every Orion system except for the launch abort system and the environmental control and life support systems. Because you don't have a crew, you don't need that those support systems, they're not ready, so you can fly this basically. It's basically a, an uncrewed Orion. It'll be slightly different when it's ready for a because all that environmental stuff will be up and running. But it's going to be like three to six weeks. I have read... Everything, I think everything I've read has a different period of time for EM-1. So my notes went three to six weeks because I don't actually know. Hmm. Uh, it seems that they're still maybe ironing that out. But um, it also is going to include the flight of the new Orion service module, which, of course, is built, being built by the European Space Agency that has not flown before. And it seems like in, in this, these newest reports that the crew module is more or less on schedule and it will be mated to the service module once it arrives. Uh, there are some critical path issues. It seems like with the service module, it's a little behind, but they think they can they can catch back up. Uh, but but what's interesting is that parts for the Orion capsule for EM three have already been ordered. So you have EM one is uncrewed, EM two is basically a repeat of EM one, but you have crew. So, again, it'll be lunar orbit, but you'll have astronauts there. Mm-hmm. First time that Orion has seen a human crew. And then EM-3 is really... It's sort of unknown at this point. It's, it'll be another cislunar mission of some sort. Uh, but they have uh, begun the very early stages of building that Orion capsule. Uh, my understanding is that at some point these things will be more reusable, but right now they're not. So... Um, of course, the em one one doesn't have any of the environmental control and life support system, so it's like an oddball right. sort of out. but e m two and e m three will use different
0: capsules. So the idea is that there's this test capsule and they're gonna put what uh, dummies in it or something. I don't know um but because they want they want to fly it, but not with people in it. Um, and yeah. then they'll repeat it with people. In
1: maybe it. the mankin company that uh, supplied the Tesla dummy, maybe they this is like their business, you know, this like fake fake astronauts. That's cool. A small customer base. <laughs> Let's
0: do that. Just some action figures, whatever. Space, yeah, spacemannequins.com. Not not an actual company. Uh, it may be. <laughs> you, you never know.
1: <laughs> Part of this conversation, too, is you have EM-1, you have EM-2, you have whatever EM-3 is going to be. Mm-hmm. And then sort of after that, there's this question of like, well, then what? So we built a big rocket um, and we have a capsule. Is there a plan? Like, where are we actually going to go with this stuff? And a lot of that conversation has focused around the the lunar gateway, which has changed names about 10
0: times, but... Yeah. Ga- gateway, though, I mean, the nice thing is gateway is the answer, is what we're going to call it, is gateway. And yes, it has been the deep space gateway, the lunar orbital platform gateway. Is there a slash? Is there a comma? Nobody knows. Um, but it is this idea that is really interesting. And there definitely seems to be momentum. I think that they're not making all the announcements yet, but NASA seems to be very strongly suggesting, and they have made some claims about this, that is why we're talking about it now, that they're working in the background on some specific lunar exploration things that are going to be part of a larger uh, set of of crewed missions and, and uncrewed missions, both, around the moon in the 2020s. And so uh, there's... There was this statement that they put out that basically said that NASA expects to be able to have astronauts visit Gateway in 2024 with human landings on the moon happening sometime after 2026, which Lauren Grush of The Verge, who's been on this show before, referred to as an incredibly Optimistic timeline. And I think the emphasis there is on incredible, as in a lack of credibility with this timeline. But um it is interesting that this is the goal, because in the end, the timelines you can dismiss, but the direction that they're going in is interesting. And this is the idea that in some ways it's the US saying we're more interested in doing space missions in cis lunar space and in lunar orbit than we are in low Earth orbit, so it's almost like it's the new... It's not the new International Space Station. In fact, this is, at this point, a U.S. project, although it would not surprise me if you ended up with more participation and modules and things from other space agencies. Would not surprise me. I don't know anything... in advance about that and somebody who thinks that that's impossible can let me know if I'm wrong. But the cost of something like this and the opportunity to have European Space Agency piggyback on, for example, seems like it would be pretty reasonable. But um, the idea here is, yeah, build a space station. It goes around the moon, although in a very um, elliptical orbit. And one of the features of the Gateway plan is that it's a six day orbit around the moon that constantly keeps the Earth in view. So there's none of the sort of shadow problem where you're in the moon's shadow, like Apollo Nine and Apollo Thirteen, and all the Apollo orbiters, where they they would go back and lose contact because they were on the on the far side of the moon. This orbit would not do that. It would be a uh, this this six day orbit that stays in contact with Earth the whole time, which is interesting. And then uh, they would start after that thing is in place, and uh, they would start sending crew there, and there'd be. It's, the plan is room for four crew um, who would be there between 30 and 90 days. They say that the location of the gateway would be such that it would be accessible both by SLS, as we've been saying, but also it would be reachable by what they say are commercial and international ships. So I think the implication there is that you could either, like the European Space Agency could send a... Uh, you know, a, a spacecraft or something else there that is uncrewed, but they could also like, uh, could a Soyuz go there? Maybe, maybe if the Russians were participating in this program in some way, they're kind of leaving all of that open. And certainly I think the idea is that commercial crew could go there as well. And it wouldn't just need to be SLS missions there. And it's kind of exciting because the idea there is we've kind of done a lot in low earth orbit, but if you're in this lunar orbit you're further away from the earth so there are more things you can learn and it gives you access to the moon which you know they talk about having people land on the moon it also means they can send we can send probes down to the moon for sample return and they can carry their stuff up to the uh, station and then it can be shipped back to earth from there which is interesting because it allows sort of uh, a closer a close-up view of Um, of the moon in a way you can't do it. If you have to come every time you go to the moon, you have to come all the way from earth and then go straight back. And if you're able to hang out around the moon for one, two, three months, then it's more interesting. Also, I think the implication here is that this is the model for Mars exploration, which is a pretty good one, which is the idea that um, Mars exploration. One of the, one of the clever ideas is you could do a lot of Mars exploration from Mars orbit And you could go down to the surface of Mars with people, and that would be amazing, and then bring them back. But you could also be in orbit around Mars and control without any lag uh, probes and do sample returns. And that could be another part of Mars exploration. So it's an interesting model for exploring other worlds, too. So you know, I think it's an interesting idea. I think the timelines seem unlikely, but I kind of like the idea that we've been saying on this podcast since the very beginning, what you kind of want is a plan and a direction to work toward. You kind of want to hear that. And and it seems like with SLS kind of getting on board and with the commercial crew stuff getting close to reality and with this discussion of Gateway, like there is a... And we can debate whether it's a good plan or not. That's fine. Like, is this what we should be spending our money on? Is this what we should be doing with our resources and space? But at least it starts to feel like It's a coherent strategy, which is we're going to have the heavy lifting thing. We're going to have crew capability on the SLS. We've got commercial crew. We're going to put a station in cislunar space with a moon orbit and access to the moon. We're going to presumably there's a hint about how NASA is going to work, start working. The implication is on a lunar lander. Uh, There are a bunch of other lunar missions that could potentially work with the gateway station. Um, And now you start to see a picture where we're talking about, um, real moon exploration at a level beyond what happened with Apollo and potentially also they haven't talked about this at all, but once you've got the space station, the other implication there is that you could do a base on the surface somewhere because then it's a lot easier to shuttle people back and forth.
1: I think it makes a ton of sense. I think since day one, the whatever you want to call it, the gateway concept has always seemed solid to me for all the reasons you just, you just laid out. And it's gone, you know, back and forth with the name and the dates and everything. But I think the core idea is it's it's still intact. I think it's still there. And so I'm excited to see this. I agree with Lauren's assessment that it is incredibly optimistic. She goes through <laughs> some of the details of, like, none of this stuff is built yet. And it's, a lot of it's not designed yet. Like,
0: Yeah, the lunar lander thing is a good one where it's like, I'm sure there's a, a crude lunar lander program somewhere but it probably is not very funded and they're suddenly you know probably going to get flipped on and said here's money uh you have to build a lunar lander but they still got to build it for you know eight years from now to land it on the moon seems again it takes time it takes time and it's going to be optimistic but um it does seem you know the time could be wrong but if you're going in that direction unless you run into james webb Space Telescope kind of issues. It it is like you know, if they start building it, it means they're going in that direction, and they're gonna build it. It might not be 2026, it might be 2028 or 2030, but they're they're going there.
1: Yeah. And people may, you know, say, and I think I think it's a fair statement. You know, like, well, NASA worked that fast in the past. Well, they did, but they also had substantially more money than they have now. And the world right. was a simpler place then. And right. even at even if you re- returned it to the amount of funding it had, I think it would still be slower now because there's a lot more to deal with. But that's always in the back of my mind. Right? Like, okay, like the government says it wants these things. Is the government willing to pay for it? And, uh, you know, in the last couple of years, NASA has gotten more than the administration um, said it would. You know, the Congress likes NASA. They like certain programs and NASA in particular. Uh, but I think if this is really going to be anywhere close to this date that the funding is like a a pretty big missing piece at this point
0: yeah and and i think the truth of the politics of it and you and i talk about this a lot too on this podcast the if if people get excited about uh new rockets and astronauts going into space from nasa and its partners and something new that is not the ISS that's been up there for a long time. And the idea of, of, you know, going back to the moon and having a new space station around the moon and all these things. Like if that, if that serves the purpose of getting the public more engaged in what this is doing, that also serves the purpose of getting NASA more funding and attention. But that's the trick is um, you've got to, you've got to create political reasons for funding NASA. And one reason to fund NASA is that people are enthusiastic about the stuff NASA has been doing. And right now, NASA's challenge is it, the perception is that it hasn't been doing anything since the space shuttle launched the last time.
1: Yeah, that's, uh, that's where we are. I think that sums it up. We got a few more things to talk about, Jason, but I want to tell you about our sponsor this week. This episode of liftoff is brought to you by Squarespace. Make your next move with Squarespace. It lets you take an idea and turn it into a website, complete with a unique domain name, award-winning templates, and more. So maybe you want to create an online store or a portfolio to show off your work. Maybe you want to create a blog. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform. It lets you do all of that stuff. There's nothing to install, no patches to worry about, no upgrades are needed. You don't have to worry about that kind of stuff because Squarespace has it covered. And if you do need help, they have award-winning 24-7 customer support. Like I said, they allow you to quickly and easily grab a unique domain name, and you can pair it with one of those award-winning templates that are all beautifully designed to show off your great ideas. I actually just last night was in a Squarespace site I built for a, a very small nonprofit here in Memphis. And they just have a couple of people part-time. I built them a very simple Squarespace site a couple of years ago, and they wanted to change some copy on one of the pages. So they emailed me the new copy. I put it in to Squarespace, and within a couple of minutes, I was just going about my day because I had taken care of that client issue. It was really fast and really simple. Squarespace plans start at just $12 a month, but you can start a trial with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com liftoff. When you decide to sign up, use the offer code LIFTOFF to get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain and to show your support for this show. Once again, that's squarespace.com slash LIFTOFF and the code LIFTOFF to get 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. So we've got an anniversary to celebrate, Jason. Oh, happy anniversary to who again? Spitzer, Space Telescope. Oh, okay. Great. 15 years? Is that right? That's right. Uh, 15 years in space, clocking 106,000 hours of observation time. Like a lot of other hardware we talk about, it's initially, you know, it was planned for two and a half years of service. We're at 15 years. Uh, So it's it's really lasted uh, a long time. And I actually learned a lot about, this is a, a a space telescope I just didn't know much about. So... It had a supply of liquid helium to cool three onboard instruments. And that supply was going to last five and a half years. And that was called the cold phase. So the idea was that the the system would keep the instruments cool and they could um, uh, basically stay super efficient. And uh, that gave Spitzer a very high sensitivity uh, Mm -hmm. during that cold phase. In 2009, the helium supply ran out, and the spacecraft entered its warm phase, <laughs> which I just I love. Uh, the main instrument, called the Infrared Array Camera, it is an infrared telescope, has four cameras, two of which have maintained the same sensitivity now as they did in the cold phase. So this thing has huh. lasted longer than planned, and has actually performed really well despite this helium supply running out, which is pretty cool. Uh, like I said, it is a infrared telescope, like a bunch of others we've talked about, and it has discovered like far off galaxies, a previously unknown ring at Saturn, and do you remember those seven Trappist one exoplanets we talked about uh, maybe yes, like a, a yes. year ago, year and a half mm-hmm. ago? Uh, Spitzer found those, and it's doing this exoplanet work, and it was designed and built in an era really before like exoplanet exploration was really a thing especially the way it is now and sure. so they've been able to use these tools to do things that weren't on a bunch of uh
0: people's radars at the time had yeah, also caught a car crash in space it's like a it dashboard did. camera for space <laughs> apparently the deep Im- deep impact which is hilarious because that's the name of a movie where a comet hits the earth and the deep impact spacecraft hit a comet ha 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 take that comet uh, and uh, that was a plan, and Spitzer is uh, was pointed at it so that it could see what stuff flew off of the comet when the Deep Impact spacecraft hit, and that therefore telling us what the constitution of Comet Temple One was, and the answer was uh, that comets in our solar system look like what we see as comets around. Uh, nearby stars. So that's, I mean, again, it's not necessarily like mind-blowing in that way, but it's an experimental confirmation uh, that what we see in these comets here is what we're seeing there.
1: Uh, We should talk about where Spitzer is. So it orbits the sun in an earth-trailing orbit. So it is behind us in our orbit. And as it has aged, it has fallen further and further behind us uh, in its path. And that's actually kind of posing a challenge now, because when it to turn to download data to the earth, its solar panels no longer directly face the sun. and so they use like battery power during downloads and then turn back to the sun before the batteries mm. run out to recharge them, which, as we know about batteries, over time, this situation is going to become more fragile. But for now the thing is still is still operating. They can still get the data downloaded and then turn back in time. but uh, I expect that at some point that will be That'll be a few, uh, a problem, a challenge to overcome. And it's actually currently scheduled to continue operations for about another year until November 2019. Uh, but as we know, sometimes additional extensions can't be granted if the uh-huh. the spacecraft hardware is in is in good shape and the team and the science being done is deemed uh, like worth the investment. So uh, you know, Spitzer may maybe towards the end of its life, but it may still have some time to go. We just don't know yet. But we don't know. But it's all,
0: it's all in the warm phase, though. Yeah. Cold phase is gone. Cold phase except for those two cameras who nobody told are still <laughs> yeah. in the cold phase, which is great. They just never got the message. Mm-hmm. Uh that is pretty great. That's good. Uh hey, speaking of various outer I don't even know what my transition here is. Speaking of <laughs> comets, let's talk about asteroids, which are okay. comets like rockier buddies. Uh Yeah, sure. um I want to give you an update on OSIRIS-REx, which uh, NASA did a teleconference last week that I actually listened to. It was fun. Um, and my wife in the other room was like, what are you listening to? And it's like, it's space. It's space. Don't worry about it. So OSIRIS-REx is on its way to an asteroid, and the mission is to bring asteroid stuff back to the Earth. The big headline here is it has spotted its quarry. It has found its target and seen it, sighted it, for the first time. But you know what I got to do first, Stephen? I got to tell you what Osiris Rex stands for. Yes, it's my favorite part: Origins, Spectral Interpretation, Resource Identification, Security, Regolith Explorer. I get the job done. Okay. Uh, yeah. I, I mm, that's not my favorite uh, acronym ever. Anyway, Osiris Rex launched in September of sixteen. It's going to begin maneuvering to be precisely in the orbit of asteroid Bennu in October and will arrive at Bennu in December, which is exciting. It's going to spend all of next year orbiting Bennu and taking pictures and doing mapping. And the idea there is it's got to find a place to land, a good place to land. So it's going to do a lot of imaging. And then in mid-2020, it will... As the saying goes, tap that asteroid. (laughs) Um, Jason. Yeah, you're welcome. The mission will let them grab up to four and a half pounds, 4.4 pounds. I didn't write down how many kilograms that is, and the uh, Europeans uh, are going to be mad at me. So I'm going to tell you it is two kilograms. Look at that. In fact, that's probably the actual number is two kilograms and somebody rounded it to 4.4 or converted it to 4.4 pounds. Two kilograms of Bennu material will be able to come back to Earth um, in 2023, so it's going to take about three years. Hard to get back to Earth, just like it's hard to get out there. And it will land in Utah in 2023. And at the news conference last week, they posted, uh, basically, it's like a video, but they also posted it as an animation on Twitter that is like three or four frames, but it is uh, this, this bright dot moving across a fixed star field. And that is Bennu from 1.4 mile, million miles away, which is the closest that anybody has ever been to Bennu. And they're getting closer every day. And they will use that imagery to help do that precise maneuvering in October to make sure that they can get right where they need to be around there. But it's very exciting because this is the first time, like I said, that OSIRIS-REx has spotted its quarry. And even though the pictures aren't spectacular, what they represent is pretty cool, which is there's that asteroid and we're going to go get it. And we're going to steal two kilograms of it and bring it back to Earth so that we can analyze what asteroids are like, which is pretty awesome.
1: I remember when it launched. It was exciting to talk about it then, and yeah. uh, and seeing it progress. And um, you know, sample return missions are are pretty rare. We don't get a lot of them. Super so it's, rare, yeah. It's especially one from this far out, right? Uh, it's gonna be
0: it's gonna be a lot of fun to follow this. Did you see the story speaking? And this is this is totally off topic, but did you see the story about how somebody auctioned off they auctioned off the sample return bag from one of the moon landings? No. Oh, it's pretty amazing. I'll I'll try to find it and put a link in the short show notes, but. Um, basically through a kind of like a clerical error somebody ended up walking away and 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 like they took them nasa took them to court and and they won to they walked away with this bag that was used as a sample return bag on the apollo missions and it still got like dust basically on the inside of it um and you know Somebody in private hands basically got that, and then they auctioned it off for a ridiculous sum of money. and uh, it's a it's not much of a story, but like the point is that those were our sample return missions until the last you know decade or so where there have been a couple. Mm -hmm. sample return missions that was it was the moon stuff and even when we talked about the lunar gateway earlier one of the points of that is to do some sample return and have a good kind of way station for sample return so uh yeah sample return return is really hard and um getting a very large amount of sample from Bennu and bringing it back it's going to be pretty cool and that'll be in 2023 we'll uh, put it in follow-up here
1: in a few years Yeah. yeah that's right file it away until then, if you want to read more about what we've talked about, you can head over to the website, relay.fm liftoff 79. In the sidebar there, you can get in touch with us via email. There's a link to our Tumblr. You can uh, follow that. We put uh, stories and stuff there in between recordings. Liftoffpodcast.space. It's a very good URL. You can find us on Twitter, of course, as well. Jason is jsnell, and you can find me there as ismh. Until our next Fortnite, Jason, say goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. Adios.